Hello everyone, Simon Jacobson here for another episode of Wednesday Night Live. Ordinary people becoming extraordinary. Even the mere title itself is a tremendous insight into the human condition. We are living in a world inundated by the fireworks and the drama, albeit superficial drama that we, is displayed and beamed at us and streamed at us literally every moment of our lives. And who, who's considered a hero? Who is considered extraordinary? It's usually people who have the limelight. It can be a sports superstar. It can be a Hollywood actor, actress. It can be someone in politics. Anyone who's achieved a form of notoriety where a lot of people know about that person. Now, I'm not suggesting all these people don't have certain heroic elements, but why them? There's 7 billion people on the planet. You just can't have a camera shining on each one of them. And more importantly, many of them don't want a camera shining on them. So we're living in a situation, a world, which is defined by very arbitrary and sometimes even uh, underhanded and unnecessarily uh, um, just and fair determination of who is going to be the next star. So this point of ordinary people achieving extraordinary things, ordinary people who became, who are extraordinary, touches, I believe, a chord in each one of us, because many of us sometimes live vicariously through these stars around us. And we feel, oh, sometimes imagining myself being that. I remember as a kid, I grew up in New York's Yankee fans, and Mickey Mantle, and the legendary Babe Ruth before my time, but he was spoken about. And what was the attitude to it all? It was this type of approach of, like, you know, maybe I can be like that person. And we as children would even play games, like being in the outfield, making imaginary catches, doing extraordinary feats. And then you get a little older and you realize this man himself, quite a flawed human being, perhaps a brilliant, brilliant baseball player. But we tend to go to extremes, and since someone's brilliant in one area, it becomes brilliant in every area. So it creates a true distortion of what is considered a role model, what is considered a hero, what is considered someone we should be looking up to, we should have, want our children to look up to. And I have to say that I'm sure it contributes to the lowering of standards in our society because who we look up to becomes someone we try to emulate. Now, we're not looking for perfection here. There's no such thing as a perfect human being. I just want to make, and neither am I trying to knock in any way undermine people who have achieved success and excellence and notoriety in a positive way in many fields. Some people talk about Michael Jordan. They say, I would cry when I saw him floating, literally floating, to get a shot into the basket. Or other Olympic feats, other extraordinary accomplishments in whatever world it may be. No one is taking away from that, and no one's even taking away from the romance of it, which is the imagination that it sparks within us, and also that sheer drive for excellence that people are committed to. You usually don't hear about the nightmares around it. Look at this great, the big scandals around um, the American Olympic gymnastics. 
And the doctor, I don't want to mention his name, what he did to hundreds and hundreds of young innocent girls. So that beauty, the glamour, the glitz that were shown on, on screen, and with life stories, if you ever watch Olympics, you see the production, and much of it is very moving and touching. But they don't show you the other side, just like they don't show you the, the, the images of distorted ballet feet of young girls who become ballet dancers. Or they don't show you the x-rays of the lungs of smokers in advertising. And again, I want to make sure that I'm making the point that I'm not looking here to be fire and brimstone against all this fake and image, images and so on. There's, that, there's much to say about that. I'm talking about even the legitimate, the legitimate accomplishments are far overblown and exaggerated in context of our own personal life. So where does it leave me? When I see these people achieving excellence, how can it make us leave us feeling really great about ourselves? So that's what we're going to talk about. Obviously acknowledging that there were very simple, ordinary people, quote-unquote, that actually did extraordinary things. Everything I mentioned so far was really, you can say, in the superficial field. Especially when it comes to, I mean, there are brilliant actors and actresses in Hollywood. There's no question. You watch them, you just see how they define a character. It's just amazing. And the stories they tell. Just like great authors and great musicians and great artists. And they're great sports heroes. People have accomplished greatness in many fields. I'm just suggesting, not just just, I'm suggesting, however, where does it leave the millions and billions of the rest of us? Are we failures because we have achieved those successes? Are we failures because we have not received awards and has not been honored and celebrated in the media or on front, on front cover stories in magazines and newspapers? And what about those millions or hundreds, I would say, the thousands of ordinary people that did small things that changed a few people's lives? Not everything has been recorded in history. So we have, of course, the usual suspects, and I'm going now into more moral and more noble acts that very people are familiar with, just to use a few examples of people who really did extraordinary things, ordinary people, and they actually changed history in the, in the course of history. Remember those millions of others that we will speak about, the unsung heroes, is really what we should be talking about. But still, the fact of the matter is, whether it's the voyeuristic side to us, or it's like right now, if you're watching this and a, and a, uh, a name recognition or a face that you recognize from the screen would walk into your room, I guarantee you, you wouldn't continue watching, you'd be distracted, as we see it all the time which is the real focus of this discussion here. This isn't just to talk about nostalgia and to give you the top 10 ordinary people that did extraordinary things, which you can find online, but rather just to create context and give us some background and a backdrop for this discussion. So let's start with the modern day. There is, is, of course, you can read many examples. The Rosa Parks story. In 1955, she was coming home, worked tired from a hard day's work, 1955 was that climate, yes, if you know the Brooklyn Dodgers, there was uh, Jackie Robinson, of course, who broke the color barrier in the major leagues. Before that, there was a Negro League. And uh, so, you know, so there, I don't want to call him ordinary because he was a great baseball player and he did make it. And maybe the person who, who is it, who is it, the owner of the Dodgers, the Brooklyn Dodgers that, um, that brought him on board, who defied all, all his colleagues the band, that bar, bad barrier. But let's talk about Rosa Parks. At the end of the day, well, let me, you know, let me continue since I'm on Jackie Robinson. I've heard from people who are in Brooklyn in uh, Ebbets Field. Ebbets Field is where I grew up in Crown Heights. 
People actually went to the games when he played, and he was jeered. He was jeered. Not so much in Brooklyn as it was in other fields across the country. Because in Brooklyn, he already became a hero, a legend. We have now the Jackie Robinson Parkway named after him. But, um, but he was jeered. Now, Rosa Parks was going home from a hard day of work. And she sat down on the bus. And what happened was, of course, the rule of the laws, the bus driver said to her, you're sitting in the wrong section, young lady. I don't think that's the words he used. And, he, and she would refuse to move from her seat. There was the colored section, what they called. So the police came, they arrested her. And this is credited to being one of the watershed moments of the birth of the civil rights movement. Not the only moment, but it's captured the imagination of people. Now that could have happened and no one would have known. She would have been arrested, no one would have made news. So it was the right time, the right place, and maybe the right newspaper person who made a story out of it. And they knew how to maximize it. You have the story, that's in 1955. You have the story in 1980. This may be lesser known, but those that unfortunately are familiar with this, sometimes it comes from tragedy. The tragedy is, we're talking about Candy Leitner. In 1980, her 13-year-old daughter was killed by a repeated, a repeated drunk driver. And she then went on to found, in her grief and her agony, MAD, which was an organization of the women mothers against drunken driving that became a phenomenon across the country and literally saved thousands and thousands of lives. Does that in any way take away from the pain of loss of her daughter? No. But an ordinary person, an ordinary day, tragedy, and how she turned it around became a movement which has saved thousands of lives, whether the laws of, uh, against drunk driving as being literally very strict laws, whether the laws around um, the different uh, rules, laws around seatbelts and other things that became part of this as well. And all that was spawned by her, by her movement, by her pain of an ordinary person creating an extraordinary thing. And then I'll mention the Middle East is Mohammed Bozazi in Tunisia, a simple person who didn't have any great dreams. He was a street vendor. He sold food on the, on the corners. And the, the, the desperation of him and his, and, his whole, and, his, and his countrymen was all captured that one day when he set himself on fire in, 19, in 2010. And that became, that, that sprang, from that sprang, that ignited, no pun intended, what they call the Arab Spring, which some have already now coined to become the Arab Winter. But the uprising and the, uh, and the overthrow of the Tunisian regime, the Egyptian regime, and no question has left waves that are still affecting that region. We don't know where this is going to head. But that was captured on social media. Social media, of course, magnifies and amplifies everything going on. And that also became a reflection of a tremendous movement, which I'm not going to say everything about it is good, but a big part of good is that it overthrew tyrants and showed there can be change in this very primitive and tribal region of the world that is still haunting all of, the, all of, our, the, all of Earth. Just three examples. And then, of course, I want to use the example that maybe is the best one. Because these people were ordinary people in the regular sense of the word. Another person who was notorious, how would you say that, became famous in Steven Spielberg's film, Schindler's List. 
Oscar Schindler, a businessman, a corrupt, decadent, low life, that's what you would probably call him. And he was thrust in a situation where he ended up saving another number, a hundred or a few hundred, maybe more than that, Jewish lives. Not because he was a hero, a moral character. The moment came, and for some reason, he felt something. Like the Talmud says, the Mishnah says, someone that saves one life is like saving a universe. And the film, you see it, especially at the end, where you actually see the people who were saved by him, how they go and put a stone on his grave. A Christian, not Jewish. And regardless of whether you think of the film, the film was, of course, quite powerful. It was how much fictionalized it was, but the basics of the story, an ordinary person doing an extraordinary thing, what? He changed lives. He saved lives and thus changed lives. And you'll see with all the examples I gave, that's truly the example of an ordinary person. Because you can say all the sports and Hollywood and artists and, and authors, they weren't ordinary people, actually. Many of them were quite extraordinary. They were born with a unique talent, geniuses. Albert Einstein was a genius, as were others. So to say they're ordinary, they may be ordinary in other areas of their lives, but you can't say they were ordinary in the area where they achieved something great. The examples I gave were completely ordinary. They weren't born with these special type of gene. They weren't born with something that is different, something excellent. They were born what we would call ordinary. But as we'll see in a few moments, there's no such thing as ordinary. And they prove it. So actually they're not the exception. So there are people who've achieved great things who actually are great. Meaning great, meaning that you can see it, either child prodigies, or you just see their brilliance in their field just outshines anyone else, whether it was chess geniuses or other types of masters and, and, uh, and extraordinary artists and so on. But what we want to talk about, obviously, is can this, how this applies to each one of us. So this is the real question, going back to the initial question I asked at the beginning of this program. Is there such a thing as ordinary? We make all this noise about all these people. What does it do? Does that obfuscate the extraordinariness within each one of us? And the answer, obviously, is a rhetorical question. Is absolutely and unequivocally yes. You I, every one of us, everyone listening to this, everyone watching this, wherever you are in the world, you are a hero. It may not have been actualized yet. You may not even believe it yet. But that is exactly the problem. The problem is not whether you have extraordinary capacity. The problem is that we don't believe we do. And in the climate that we live in, with the things we worship, things that are idolized, that only serves to obfuscate even more our great and tremendous potential. And this is based on one principle that you hear from me time and again. You are a piece of God. You are created in the divine image. You don't want to use religious terms for obvious reasons and many reasons. You have within yourself something that is a piece of the eternal, a piece of the infinite, something extraordinary. And it's just because we live in a world that tends to gravitate toward things that are novel, that seem loud, the sizzle more than the steak, so these things become concealed from ourselves and, of course, from others. You throw into the equation growing up in a home, 
an environment, a school, that also contributes to turning us into mediocre by not appreciating, not thanking, not acknowledging, not cultivating and nurturing the inner hero within you, the inner spirit that makes you unique, your song, your voice. So that only contributes, as I said, to the lowering of our own standards and the lack of expectations of ourselves, from ourselves. So what we need to do is not to listen to all those naysayers or to all those dash our dreams or lie to us or disappoint us or maybe because they don't believe in themselves, they project that low self-esteem on, to others and learn to believe in yourself, learn to find people that believe in you. Because we are indeed all born with something extraordinary. Firstly, everybody has something unique that no one else has. That Let's start with that. Does that mean that every person is an Einstein, whether it's a physics or a Shakespeare or a Rembrandt or a Mozart? Not necessarily. But that doesn't mean you don't have something extraordinary with something that's unique and extraordinary to you. Your voice, your song. That's number one. Number two, there is no such thing as ordinary. Ordinary is the illusion that we create that we're looking for some new high. Every moment is magical. Look how little children explore everything. Every fiber of existence is extraordinary. There's no such thing as ordinary. So in addition to you actually having something unique, the fact that matters, you can actually bring alive the electricity, the passion, the pulsating energy that exists in everything that's going on around us, even the things that seem to be inanimate, quiet, silent. You have the power to bring it alive. Think of it a bunch of buzzing energy, but you can't see it. You do something, you create a reaction. An action creates a reaction. Every cause creates an effect, and you bring it alive. We have that opportunity every given moment. The great mystic, the founder of the Hasidic movement, the Baal Shem Tov, he says, and I have a chapter of this in Torah Meaningful Life, read that chapter, it's a very powerful chapter on miracles, closer to the end of the book. He says, the only difference between a miracle and a natural event is frequency. Everything is a miracle. Frequency. If the sun were to rise once in our lifetime, people would come running out, wow, look at this, and bring camera crews, and bring our families, look at this sight. A ball rising in the horizon, setting in the horizon. But since it happens every morning, we yawn, literally, and we're probably asleep during sunrise. And um, it happens every day. So what? Does that make it less of a miracle because it happens more than once? We breathe. An average healthy person breathes 18 times every minute. Did you know that? We don't even notice. That's its miracle. Like the Talmud says, Ein ma balanes ma A person who's experiencing the miracle doesn't even recognize his own miracle. Because it's happening so often and so common. But then you go, God forbid, to a hospital, you see someone struggling to breathe. Or God forbid, a child is born with some defect, God forbid. You realize, one second, what does it take to breathe? One minute, this isn't just a small matter. You know how many factors have to come into play for a person to breathe? And the same thing with every part of our existence. I remember at one of these classes, at the end of the class we were hanging out, and uh, people were talking about what they do. They were sharing their lives. And one person was a pediatrician. An obstetrician, I'm sorry, an obstetrician. And he said, yeah, he delivers children. He says, it's great. It's unbelievable to be part of that. And he started sharing 
his experience. He worked in the New York hospital on the eighth floor that the delivery, where the delivery rooms are, the birth. He says, sometimes we deliver a child. It's the middle of the rush hour. And you hear the, the FDR below, the noise, the screeching brakes, the honking horns. You could sense the tempers flaring, impatience. People are rushing, rushing. Rush. Who's, where are they rushing to, I think? One's rushing to go home, one's rushing to dinner, one's rushing to a show, most are rushing just to rush. And then, here in the quiet of the eighth floor, we're delivering a child, and there's no bumper-to-bumper traffic. Now there's no noise, no one's rushing to come in to see this miracle. And here is the miracle of life, the beginning, our beginnings, the beginning of each one of us. And we have a doctor, myself, a nurse, the mother, all is quiet in the contrast. And I say, what is a gift it is to be part of this miracle. That night I decided to drive home on the FDR. I just wanted to experience it. FDR at night, they usually do construction. There's often, oddly, more traffic at night sometimes than by day. Anyway, I was driving by and I was thinking about it. We all have the rush hours of our lives, everyone. We're busy, we're overwhelmed. We have bills to pay, ends to meet. Pressures, expectations, demands. You can fill in the gaps, fill in the blanks. So we're so overwhelmed. We have our rush hours. And what happens when there's a lot of rush hours, when there's a lot of turbulence, a lot of commotion and noise? It drowns out what is called the cold mamadaka, the gentle, subtle voice inside your soul. It drowns it out. When you have beautiful, gentle sounds coming from a violin, from a humming violin, and then suddenly someone makes a tremendous noise, what happens? You don't hear it. The subtlety gets drowned out and overwhelmed by the extra, extra terrestrial, I was going to say, extraneous sounds. The same thing is happening inside of us. Each one of us has beautiful music. You see a child born. Who doesn't recognize the miracle? But then it's happening every day. Yes, there are, God forbid, exceptions. But it's happened so often, we, we lose the sensitivity and appreciation of the miracle. So miracles, basically, nature is basically many miracles repeated. So there's no such thing as ordinary. The challenge is how do you see the extraordinary within the ordinary? The miraculous and the natural. That's the challenge. And you begin by looking at yourself. Do you see yourself as miraculous or as natural? Do you see yourself as a novelty or as a habit? Are you just a product of circumstances or a victim of circumstances? Or are you creating destiny? Are you reactive or proactive? All these are bound to one formula, one principle. Are you unique and extraordinary or are you ordinary? And the answer is you are extraordinary. And the first person that needs to believe that is yourself. I'm not talking about arrogance here. We're not talking about inflated perception, delusions of grandeur or illusions of grandeur. We're talking about basic awareness of the uniqueness and therefore the responsibility you carry. You connect to that, then everything you touch becomes extraordinary as well. The Midas touch. You look at yourself like gold. Everything you touch will be gold. 
You look at yourself as extraordinary, then the people you meet, you will see the extraordinary component in them, and you will look to inspire that. And you will see you'll motivate them in that fashion. That's what leaders do. And each of us is a leader in our own right. Now, of course, there's some people who are blessed with skills to be the charisma, the leadership qualities, the drive, the inspiration, the communication abilities to reach somebody else. But everyone is a leader in their own right, in their own small world. That's why we're called kings or the children of kings. Each of us is a king or a queen. Malchus, you have the dignity, you have the kingship, the sovereignty, the ability to be a true leader, the ability to truly shape the course of your life and the life of those around you. Now, I don't know if the Rosa Parks and the Leitners or the Bozazis or the Schindlers of our last generation or two were even aware of this. Did they hear a class like this? Not necessarily. It could very well be circumstances led them to a place and the right time, the right place, the right characters, the right challenges, and they rose to the occasion. Schindler could have lived 20 years later and no one would even know he existed. And he may never have done anything heroic of that caliber. Look how many people of his colleagues, of his co-patriots and his, his uh, the co-citizens of his countries, in Austria and Germany, what they did, the exact opposite. And their names will be buried in shame and erased. We say, Yemach Shemom V'Zichram, their names should be erased and their memories. Because what they did was, we won't call it extraordinary, but what they did was, it was, was animalistic, was inhumane. So yes, Hitler's name will be remembered for what he did, but not in any way that we call ordinary person doing an extraordinary thing, even though he was ordinary, meaning the sense he wasn't coming from any great political family or something. He was a garnish, as the Rebbe once said. Nobody. But he did what he did, and that's really not part of our discussion here. Just putting it in context. So the Schindlers and the Parks and the others and those on our times needed certain circumstances. I am submitting here to you that you don't need certain circumstances. You can create these circumstances. You don't have to wait for something to happen. Right now, right here, where you are, you have the opportunity to either be a bystander, an observer, or to initiate something, to shift something. And that means when you speak to somebody, say something kind, say something you may not have usually said, say something unnatural. And when I mean unnatural, I don't mean in a weird, bizarre way. I mean supernatural, supranatural. Above the common, above the ordinary, above the habits and the patterns that we go through. Every moment, do something that changes a pattern, that shifts the trajectory. Now, I don't say every moment is difficult. You know what? Start every day. Every day, make sure. Commit to do something different, to do something extraordinary. It doesn't have to be dramatic. It doesn't have to change everything. But it has to be something that you would not have done and something that is unexpected. Try it out. Try it out with your spouse. Try it out with your family, with your children, with friends, with colleagues, with anyone. Do something unexpected and you'll see unexpected results. That's how it begins. It's a shift. It's so easy to get into the rut and you're stuck and you then go around in circles, maybe with different characters, different people, and then you say, nothing's changing in my life. Yeah, nothing changes, nothing changes. If you think what you thought, and you say what you said, and you do what you did, you know what you'll have? 
what you had. That's a mathematical certainty. Whereas if you think different, and you speak different, and you do different, what will you have? Something different. That's how we create change. Many of us, again, being trained and programmed, and I would say even uh, literally brainwashed, into thinking what, hero, about what, what heroism truly is, what is extraordinary, we also think our actions don't really make a difference. The more things change, the more they stay the same. We get trapped in the illusion, what difference does it make? So what happens? We become habitual creatures, robots, predictable robots, completely not extinguishing, but obfuscating, concealing, suffocating, maybe is the best word, our unique soul, our unique voice, our unique song. Sing a song. Yes, sing a song. Now, some of us may be ashamed to do it in public. Fine, start in private. I can tell you there are times when I'm speaking and trying to communicate and reach to people, and I feel I'm not really getting there. I will sing a song. Sometimes even spontaneously. And now initially people think, well, is something the matter with them? Especially if they don't know me. If they know me, they know there's something the matter with me. But if they don't know me, they still have a doubt. You know what? What, what, what did I do? What can go back, wrong? Sing a song and it opens up the heart, your own heart and others. So when you're stuck and you feel things aren't working, you know what all you got to do is change something in your actions. You'll say, one second, I want things to change, then I'll change something. That's what people always say. If only, if only, this change, that change, this one did something, if that person had responded this way, if they would have returned my call, if they would agree to date me, etc. Always someone else, what about you? It's because, not, this is not pointing fingers that there's something wrong, it's because we've been programmed to think like that. That you are nobody. What could you do already? You're not a nobody. You're an everybody. You are extraordinary. Not because you're arrogant in that belief, but because you were sent here. You have a purpose that's higher than yourself. So it's not about consuming, consumed with your own inner sense of self-worth. It's recognizing that you wouldn't be here on this earth if you were not given something extraordinary. And what are you doing to reach that extraordinary? So yes, ordinary people can do extraordinary things, even though without the title, the problem is that I don't believe there's anything that's ordinary. The reason we title this is because most people do believe it. And the only way to dispel a myth is by beginning to address it in the context that people are familiar with and comfortable with. So in that sense of the word, and let's go into a little deeper, in, let's go what they call under the dashboard, behind the scenes. In Kabbalistic texts, when it talks about these two approaches, one is what we'll call natural, and the other we'll call supra, not supernatural, but supra-natural, meaning above the common, above the ordinary. So there, there are two different types of energies that are referred to. One is called the imminent energy, mamalakalaman, the energy that energizes, vivifies existence, the energy within your soul that manifests in your body. In the divine names, it's called Elohim, which is the gematria. Gematria is the numerical equivalent. Every Hebrew letter has a number to it. So Elohim is the gematria of Hateva, the nature. Nature. Then there's the transcendent energy called Sovov Kalam, beyond us. Something transcendent. You go out of yourself to experience it. And that's associated with a divine name called the Tetragrammaton, the name of the four letters, Yud. K, Vov, K, Yud, Hey, Vov, Hey. 
Havaya. We don't pronounce it because of its holiness. That's the higher level. And these two names you'll find to be very universal throughout biblical texts and, uh, and, on, and the Talmudic texts, as well as, of course, in the mystical texts. They refer to the, the, these two types of dimensions. And what it means personally, we also have these two types of energy. We have energy that we invest in the things that we need, our survival. You invest energy in breathing, you invest energy in eating and drinking and sleeping and doing work and interacting with others and so on. And traveling and commuting. Then there's a that side of your dimension of you that is called beyond survival, the transcendent side in your life. For some of us, we feed that through reading, through romance, through travel, through not the physical travel, but looking at new exotic sites, sexuality, religion, faith, spirituality, music, art, and so on. It is basically the human condition sensing that survival is not enough. There's something more to life. We all have it. And there's a fundamental drive in each one of us. And each of us are going to have to feed it. That drive, that restlessness in the soul that I've often discussed discussed as being similar to a flickering flame. It does not rest in one place. It's constantly moving. That's the spirit. It's not satisfied with the mediocre. It's not satisfied with the status quo. It's not satisfied with inertia. So what do we do with that flame? So in a healthy sense, you seek, you yearn, you long, you aspire, you pine for something greater. And how does that play itself in our lives? You do things that are not ordinary. The transcendent within you compels you to do something that's not ordinary. If you give in and numb numb that voice, then you become a survivor. You become someone who lives a life of quiet desperation. And what do you do with that transcendent restless spirit? You either bury it and just see it as being an enemy almost. I've heard this from people. Or when it pops its head, you feed it in ways that are not necessarily always healthy. Forms of escape, sexual escape. It can be through addictions. It can be through drugs, through alcohol. It can be through gambling. It can be through all the AIDS, all the, what they call the the anonymous, the AAs. And there's all the different types of addictions anonymous or not anonymous. Because the spirit needs to be fed and a thirsty person can't go along without drinking. So numbness, obviously, we know is not a very good option. Repression is not a healthy option. The option of feeding it and relieving relief, the relief that we seek through means that are ultimately destructive, ultimately take control of your life instead of you controlling it, is clearly also not an option. So what's left? What's left is feeding it in a healthy way. Doing extraordinary things which is always going to be for others. You'll see every addiction, well, I can't say every, most addictions are around you. There are people who are addicted to others, to serve others, to uh, to be subjugated to them. There is also such weird addictions as well. But, in that case, it's also a self-serving role. It just plays itself out by serving someone else. When it comes to healthy transcendence, healthy transcendence is always making the world a better place. It's always helping another person, not yourself. It always translates into a movement that can change history or maybe change history just for a few individuals that we may never even know of. And that's where the ordinary meets the extraordinary. Or better put, the ordinary becomes extraordinary. You reveal the extraordinary in the ordinary. 
So there's the concept as well, as I was talking about the imminent and transcendent energies and the Elohim and the Vaya, of the two types of miracles that exist. Actually three types, but generally two. One is open miracles, transcendent miracles. That's extraordinary. Then you have miracles that manifest within the ordinary. This means you don't see as obvious the miracle, but when you think about it, you say, of course this is a miracle. You see the confluence of events, you see the factors that go into, let's say, breathing. And then you have the ordinary itself. So it's interesting that you have ordinary, you have the extraordinary hidden in the ordinary, and you have the extraordinary that's not even hidden, it's obvious. We're discussing here, obviously, the, the, la- the first two, which is the, uh, well, in the, in the last order I spoke, the first two, meaning the ordinary and the extraordinary within the ordinary. So you can ask the question, what's the difference between the two? What's the difference between the Havaya within the Lakim and the Lakim within the Lakim? And here's the answer. It's a fascinating answer coming from Hasidic texts. Because when you have something that's extraordinary and openly extraordinary, a true natural, a true, I'm sorry, miracle that defies nature, the parting of the sea. Everyone sees it's clearly nature has been defied. That clearly is breaking the rules. It's suspending the rules of nature. That's not the objective. Sometimes you need it just to wake people up. Something that becomes so obvious that they cannot deny. At least for the moment. Later, they get back to their routines. They can even deny and say maybe it didn't happen or maybe it didn't happen the way I understood it happened. Like the famous uh, story, famous. There was a teacher, like a, a very enlightened teacher, liberal-minded teacher who was trying to teach the students the story of the parting of the sea. I wanted to minimize the show. It wasn't a miracle. and said, basically... You know, it was a, there was a little water, which was, uh, it reached ankle deep, and the Jews walked through it, and that's how they got to the other side. And, uh, and minimizing basically, you know, you're parting of a sea, you think of it like a big sea, an ocean, or whatever. And uh, the children, you know, were disappointed, because they always heard it was a big miracle. One child in the room, in the school class, was saying, amazing, I can't believe it, amazing. Teacher says, what's so amazing? I just explained to you, it was ankle deep, it was no big thing, it was like walking through your bathtub. Amazing, that in that low water, thousands of Egyptians drowned, as the, as the Bible tells the story. So there are miracles that are very obvious. Then there are miracles that are miracles, clearly miracles, the story of Purim. When you look at it, while it was happening over the seven, nine years, you may not have seen the connection, the dots. But then you suddenly realize, ooh, one second. Achashverosh, the king, happened to be a king. He happens to kill his wife for whatever reason. He happens to be, Mordechai happens to be overhearing a plot and conspiracy against the king's life. All unrelated to one another. The king happens to be looking for a new wife. She happens to end up being Esther, the niece or, or daughter of, uh, the niece of Mordechai. And then one thing after the other, the king happens to have insomnia, can't sleep at night. So they happened to read to him the story of how Mordechai saved his life. That king therefore wants to reward him. And on, the story unfolds. Lo and behold, this great decree to kill all the Jews by Haman suddenly is overturned and transformed into the greatest holiday. So what's going on here? When you look at it while it's happening, it doesn't seem like much. But in retrospect, in retrospect, it's a great miracle. So a miracle happened here. There's a hand of God, but it's hidden. That's why there's no name of God in the Megillah. But how about pure breathing? I'm breathing right now. I'm speaking right now. 
There, you don't even need a confluence of events. There it seems natural, complete natural. But that too is a miracle. That's the miracle of the ordinary. The mere fact that a divine force that's not bound by laws can create laws of nature that become so consistent and reliable that we rely on it with our lives. We rely, we know exactly when the sun will rise and everything is predictable, that that could be so predictable coming from a place that's completely indeterministic to create so much determinism, that's the greatest miracle of them all. That's the ordinary is extraordinary. Not only does the ordinary contain extraordinary, it actually is extraordinary. And that is what we really come to discover. That we have both these elements. We obviously have the transcendent, and when we need it, we can try to invoke that. The complete revealed miracle. But we recognize that firstly, we have something extraordinary within the ordinary. You could reveal the, the divine, the havaya within the lakim. And then there's even deeper, you can, divide, you can reveal the divine, the miracle of nature itself. Not just the miracle within nature. The nature itself, its very consistency, even the thing that we would call the pattern, that itself is the most miracle, miraculous of all. There were these three Hasidim sitting once around the fire and they were talking, comparing the miracles of their masters, their rebbes. And one said, I had little money. My, my, rabbi, my rebbe told me to invest it. Everyone said, I shouldn't. I did I became very wealthy. Great miracle. The second one, the second said, for me, my child was not well. All the doctors gave up hope. The rebbe gave a blessing. The child was healed. The third one, Rabbi Shmuel Garay was his name. He said, I had a lot of money. I asked my Rebbe where to invest it. He told me to invest it somewhere. Everyone thought it was a great idea. I lost all my money. So what's the miracle? He said, the miracle is I still remained a chassid. I still remained loyal and committed to him. So which is the greatest miracle? There are miracles that happen. There are miracles that are part of existence itself. I'm not suggesting that we have to embrace that, to look for situations that don't always work out the way we like. But the point is, extraordinary is everywhere. Today, in the world of physics, in the world of subatomic particles, in the world of the quantum mechanics, the quantum world, we recognize that there's indeterminism at the deepest levels, microscopic levels of existence. We recognize there's energy, energy pulsating everywhere and all the time. So there's no such thing as ordinary anymore. Everything has extraordinary. And with that, I want to bless each one of us, is have the strength, the courage, to be yourself, to sing your song, to do something that is not the usual. Do the unusual. And start with small things, something that would not have been a regular expected pattern. Just start with that. And move from there. And if you make a shift, you cause a shift in others. You see a situation when nobody's, people are, someone's being ignored who needs support in school, someone being bullied, someone being ignored. Do something different. Act different. Speak different. Do different. And think different. And you'll create difference. All of us have opportunities that come our way all the time. People who may be needy, people who come our way, that we are sitting nearby, let's say, in a, in a commute or on a plane. Now we travel during the summer months in this hemisphere and we meet people that we may not have met otherwise. Everything is an opportunity waiting for your extraordinary spirit to emerge and do something with it. So actualize it, use it. This is one of the missions, one of the ways I would articulate the mission of the Meaningful Life Center. Help 
each one of us to become extraordinary. Take something and turn it into something that is unusual. Take the usual and see it as unusual. Turn it into something unusual. That sparks new energy in our lives. It gives us new momentum, new hope, new possibilities. Everyone be blessed. Until next Wednesday, this has been Simon Jacobson on Wednesday night, every Wednesday night, 8.30 p.m. And uh, we should have all a blessed week, an unusual week, an extraordinary week. Thank you so much. Please write to us at MeaningfulLife.com. There's a lot of resources you can find on our website, as well on the social media circuits and platforms. And don't hesitate to ask us anything you'd like us to address. We're here for you. And let's join together in a partnership of making, making our lives extraordinary and making our communities and our world an extraordinary world. Be well.